Hello and welcome to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters coming at you from Indianapolis and my good friend and co-host is Josh Roller and he's joining me from Charlotte, North Carolina. We have a very fun show planned for this week. I was at the NASCAR race in Michigan on Sunday just as a fan, not covering it. Uh, However, I did cover the BC39 this past week, so I got hit with a lot of dirt in my face. I got my... Naturally. You know, yeah, you, you know, got got my shoes all muddied up, but uh, hey, got retweeted by Jeff Gluck and uh, got featured on Jayski, so I had a fun weekend. Yes, you did. Week. It was an awesome week. You sent me that. I was so happy for you. That was that's a cool that's a cool moment. That's awesome. And uh, you know how many followers I gained on Twitter, Josh? Just a total of one. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, we'll find out. But anyway, uh, it was hey, nice. Twitter's rough. Twitter's rough. It, Hey, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know what, what it's going to take sometimes. Maybe I have to get verified. And even then, that's a whole challenge in and of itself. Yeah, but, uh, you know, what was, what was fun was going out to Michigan and being able to see uh, a nice NASCAR race as a fan. For the first time since 2015, I actually saw a NASCAR race as a fan. So that was really nice. Uh, but anyway, Josh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. So let's go ahead and jump right on, settle in, kick back relax because for the next two or so hours it's going to be nothing but racing and i'm going to fade out the music and jump right on in here to rob's racing report starting off with formula one news we've got alexander Albon signing a multi-year extension with williams and yes don't worry this one actually was confirmed Albon actually did confirm this this was happening and i still uh, tweeted anyways that i fully expect him to drive for mclaren next year i still tweeted that oh gosh yeah, because here's this next piece of news. This next piece of news. There's more McLaren-related silly season drama. So Oscar Piastri was announced as by Alpine. Now, this is something that we we speculated on last week's show. We said, okay, probably by the time you listen to last week's show, you know, Oscar Piastri or someone will have already been replaced as announced as Alonso's replacement, right? All, all the signs were pointing to Piastri. It only made logical sense. He was an Alpine Academy driver. You know, he had a test and reserve role with them and everything. You know, it only made perfect sense. I mean, they had made it clear that, you know, they he wanted to be an F1. They had made it clear that he they wanted him to be an F1. As soon as Alonso was gone, I mean, the door was open and his seat was already warm. And it only made logical sense. But then Gastry later comes out and tweets that this isn't true. And that McLaren was revealed to be his destination in 2023. Now, this would then indicate that Daniel Ricciardo was out at McLaren, or at least for their F1 team, after commentating in Hungary that he would be back with the team next season as he is under contract uh, through 2023. An Alpine spokesperson told Racer that, quote, we believe we are legally correct in our statement, but don't have anything further to say. What a now, horrible then- comment. Right, what the heck? And then Racer then understands that McLaren has entered into negotiations with Ricardo to exit his contract and that they have a valid contract with Piastri for 2023. But then this confuse, confuses everybody on the IndyCar circuit here because he uh, because it's, it's implied and been implied that Pelot was signed to drive for the F1 team for next year. Because they don't certainly aren't making it seem like he's going to drive for the team in the IndyCar squad next year. And if Chip Ganassi has his way, it won't be for McLaren at all next year. He won't but be we'll driving anywhere next Piastri. year. But, but, then, but then, so now it's like, all right, well, Piastri's going to replace Ricardo. Well, they're not going to dump Norris, right? 
But then why are there all these rumors about Polo going to McLaren? Why is it that Polo would sign this deal with McLaren if not for being offered an opportunity at Formula One? Because it doesn't make sense. Why would you leave a championship-winning team, the team that you won the championship with, a team that actually wants to have you as a driver, with an owner that actually wants to have you race for his team, why else would he have elected to go sign with McLaren if not for the possibility to go be able to live in Spain and drive for Formula One? It only makes sense. Otherwise, I don't think he would have signed the deal. Yeah. yeah. It, and then, and then because the story couldn't get even, even crazier, I find out I'm sitting here at the BC39. I'm sitting here in between, waiting between the, uh, the B main and the A main. I'm sitting out here reading Twitter, scrolling through, and I find out, that Racer is breaking the news that now Rosenquist's contract is being thrown up into question. And then Nathan Brown comes out and, and, and confirms it ahead of the Nashville race. And it's like, what in the world is going on? So now Rosenquist, who was basically told, oh, no, don't worry, you're going to have a home at McLaren next year, is now being told, hey, buddy, you know, what we told you last month, two months ago, might not actually be all that accurate, and you might not want to start preparing your resume for next year. Like, come on! I don't know what McLaren's doing, but this is a high-level game of chess, and I don't know if they're winning or losing. I really don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm... I'm losing track of all of the crazy... I mean, McLaren has... I, this isn't even a love triangle anymore. This is just Zach Brown being a player. Uh, <laughs> he's a pimp, man. He's just, I mean, it's just... I, uh, I. It is wild. I don't even know what to think of it anymore because I can't think of a... I can't think of another situation like this where you had this much intertwined silly season drama not like not just not not just within one but multiple races series because let's be honest this covers formula e2 it's really not getting talked about but formula e is somewhere i mean if is alex polo going to be driving formula e next year and why would he have done that it doesn't mean why would you leave the IndyCar series where you're the defending champion to go to a totally different championship with totally different driving styles and totally different rules and try and learn all of that all over again. I don't know, man. I I don't know. I'm just I'm a spitball. I, mean, I this, know, but like this, if before, it's, before this is all said and done, Formula E is going to be like, hey, we're in this conversation too. That's what's going to happen. We're not talked about enough, but we're still here. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Josh. I just... I don't know. I don't know how this is happening. I mean, this is a complete. I mean, I feel like all of this. We're just forgetting that Tyler Reddick up, basically, oh. the, what yeah. Tyler Reddick did like a couple weeks ago. I mean, which is the same thing that broke around the same time, and then and and it seems like that's been water under the bridge now, uh, especially after Reddick won in Indianapolis. Now doubling down and i mean that, that tyler reddick that, that, that tyler reddick whole polo thing mm-hmm. is that that is that trend that's going on on twitter right now where you i i uh what's his name tom hardy's like doing that little dance thing and then here goes jonah hill like and jonah hill is alex polo like here let me screw up your day tyler <laughs> no i mean for real it's it's i i can't even put into words how insane this is i've never seen anything like this in all of my years as a racing fan, in all of my years of covering auto racing, I've never seen a silly season situation like this 
that affects so many different drivers, so many, like, three separate, like, championships, and all being circled back to one team. This is wild. This is, I mean, I I know it's someone is, there are people here who are getting royally screwed. Yeah. But it is fun to watch. (laughs) It It is. I mean, I, and I, I've, I've like, I've, I've been kind of like a, a cheerleader for McLaren and their uplift success. And I'm not, I'm not going to change that, but this is, this is fun to watch. It's, it's, it's narcissistic, but it's fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, and, and let's not even forget that Colton Herta tested the McLaren. Remember when that happened too? Yep. That's... So he's even been connected to that. <laughs> and then, and it's just, just. I don't, I don't even, and, and the thing is, the thing about the Piastri thing is that everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. So when it happened, at least this is how I experienced it. I kind of knew this was going to happen. I was like, okay, po- Piastri is going to be announced by Alpine. Okay, as mm-hmm. soon as Alonso left, it was a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. Alpine, this seemed like the natural step. This is what they wanted to do. They would, if it was not for Fernando... I think they would have absolutely have offered Piastri a, a seat but before of this point. So it just only seemed natural. So when they announce it, they put the announcement out. It's I, I read it, and I don't think anything of it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's finally official. You know? Okay, the worst kept secret in in the Formula 1 paddock is, is out. And then it's like I, I, I open up Twitter like an hour later, and the same thing's happening, like almost word for word, as yep. Polo. And I mean, I think someone posted them side by side, and they were almost word for word. They, they weren't the were. exact. They they weren't the exact same announcements, but they were basically word for word the same exact thing. They were written said. by the I same thought, lawyer. Probably yes, yes, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so so then again, if if they're being if your theory is correct that they're being written by the same lawyer, then it makes me think, you know. What are these agents doing? Like, do the are these agents, uh, the drivers' agents, working with the lawyers, and basically saying, "Okay, we've worked these deals out. We're getting out of our previous existing contracts, so we're going to go drive for McLaren next year." But at, at this point, if you're Lando Norris, do you start to get worried? Do you start to like, you know, no, pull I'm your not. collar and and go like, um, "Am I going to have a?" next year because i'm not worried for like i that's never crossed my mind i don't think lando it's Land- crossing my mind right now because uh, we, we we act i mean ricardo acted like everything's fine yeah but ricardo hasn't had the excuse me rosaquist is acting like was acting like everything was fine and all of a sudden we find out it's not fine for both of them and it's like okay apparently i i just don't trust anything mclaren does at this point in terms of securing their current lineup of f1 guys i just don't trust it i mean i understand it seems preposterous that lando would lose his ride i mean he's doing incredible things he's easily the team leader at mclaren this year and has been for at least since for the last couple of years but given how crazy this silly season has become and given how many drivers have been mixed up in this mclaren debacle i truthfully do not believe either of those f1 seats are safe at this point and it like i said it might go against every facet of logic but then again so did piastri immediately saying hey uh i'm not actually gonna drive for lp next year i'm gonna drive for mclaren 
that went against my, you know, thought and logic. So based upon that, I'm sitting here thinking like we could think that Lando's as safe as possible. Lando could go out there and sit on the podium for the next three years. There's not three years for the next like several races, three, four, five, six races. And I would not be a hundred percent certain that his ride is safe until he shows up on the grid next year in Bahrain. That's just how it, that's just where it's gotten. Unfortunately. Fair enough. Um, I, I just, I don't think it's, it has anything to do with how Lando is as a driver. I just think it's more to do with all of the contracts Zach Brown is offering to people. Where are all these people are going to go? I mean, is he building this Formula E team and taking the best drivers to head this Formula E team? Or is he really going to like overhaul his F1 team and get these young drivers that should have a ride or don't have a ride or from our IndyCar champions or IndyCar winners? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's all too crazy, man. It's, it's just all too crazy. So I've spent a lot of time already on that. So I'm going to move on. Because I don't know, Josh. Do you have anything further you want to say on all of this craziness? This is this isn't something we're covering in upshift downshift. This is something that is. I, I don't have anything that no to add to that. I, I think it's just it's going to be interesting to see where all the where all the pieces land and are they going to land on a McLaren spot? You know exactly. It's it's just going to be we're not going to know. Like I said, I don't think until the IndyCar. IndyCar shows up for St. Petersburg next year, and F1 shows up for um, for Bahrain, and Formula E shows up for Saudi Arabia, I, which I guess, I, it, I think that's starting the season again. Sorry. Bahrain? No, for Formula E. Oh, Formula E. Uh, Are they going to Deria again? I thought Mexico season? City was the first race. Or Mexico City? Okay, well, wherever they're going. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head next year's F Formula E schedule calendar, but I know it was it's the tentative one has been released, but I don't I can't remember what it was. But anyway, let's move on to some IndyCar news. And like we said about the Alexander Alba news, God it was so refreshing when we actually got an actual driver quote and actually had the driver tweet this confirmation out. But Renus VK Renus VK uh or Renus Van Kalmfoot, as the Dutch person in me will say, will remain with Ed Carpenter Racing uh, uh, from 2023 on after signing a new multi-year contract with the team. So like I said, good that that one actually was confirmed. Uh, a driver for an orange car actually confirming his ride. Um, <laughs> uh, Parada Autosport as had added, has added Laguna Seca to its calendar of 2022 races with Simona de Silvestro. Um, so they will be at the season finale at Laguna Seca, which is great. Hopefully, Pred Autosport can add even more races to their schedule for next year. Uh, and more on this later in the show. This is something that we will have an upshift downshift on. Uh, that IndyCar has fined Alexander Rossi twenty five thousand dollars, docked him twenty drivers points, and docked the number twenty seven Andretti Autosport team twenty points in the team's championship for using a water bottle to meet minimum weight in post race inspection. A technical violation, but not a sporting violation. So again, we'll talk about that here in a little bit during the upshift downshift segment. Moving on to some IMSA news now. IMSA has announced its entry into esports with the introduction of IMSA Esports Global Championship. Uh, the four-race season will feature multi-driver teams and multi-class races with GT3 and TCR machinery. The season will begin with a two-hour and 40-minute race from the virtual Road Atlanta. Races will be broadcast on iRacing's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch accounts in conjunction with Race Spot. 
Um, and then the 2023 IMSA WeatherTech calendar has been released. Detroit and Mid-Ohio are the notable absences, with Indianapolis being added, like we talked about last week. Now, the Chicago street course that is was said to be hosting an IMSA race the Saturday before the Cup race uh, is surprisingly missing from this schedule. In fact, the 2023 schedule is one less race, 11 compared to 2022. The weekend of the Chicago race, however, is open, but it would mean three straight weekends of IMSA racing uh, if for teams if it were added. Now, this is something that I have wondered is, I guess a lot of people are noting that it wasn't specified what kind of IMSA race. Some people are potentially noting that this could be an MX5 Cup race or this could be some kind of other IMSA race. It's obviously not going to be a WeatherTech Championship race or a Michelin Pilot Challenge race either. Which is super disappointing. It is super disappointing because I think that that would have been a cool card to have actually seen DPIs running around there instead of what could I'm again, we're speculating here, MX five cars running some standalone race that all of maybe 12 people care about. You know what I mean? I think a lot more people would care to see a DPI and GT three cars and the GTD cars or whatever they're going to be called. Um, I, I have a theory here. I need to look up the date of the 2023, 24 hours of Laval. So what's the date of that? Um, oh, as Google wants to be slow here. That's fantastic. Certainly okay. it's not that first week in July. Or, it mean, is the, okay, it's the second weekend of July. Mm-hmm. That is the 24 hours of Le Mans. Now, my theory is, and this is 100% theory, and kind of like a wish list thing, if you will, that they're like, here's the schedule. Now, if we add Chicago, can we make it work for three weeks after you had only one week off from Le Mans? Can we make it work? Are they going to are they going to go to teams and say that? Because again, like you said, this is going to be a that would be a whole lot bigger deal, whole lot bigger weekend. I think a whole lot easier to sell tickets if you brought the WeatherTech series or the Michelin Pilot series. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that. You know, especially in them losing Detroit, you know, that kind of leaves Long Beach as one of their, as I think the only street mm-hmm. circuit on that, on the schedule then. Yep. So yep. it, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like, and it would be a good street circuit. I mean, based upon how the layout for the Chicago street circuit looks, it would be a nice wide track, relatively wide compared to Long Beach, at least. Yeah. Um, for for the, the, like I said, the DPIs and the, the, the GT cars, mm-hmm. I would. I mean, I'd I'd like to see that. I'd prefer to see that. I mean, well, here's the thing that also bugs me: if you're if you're not adding Chicago, why are you dropping Mid Ohio? Yeah, exactly. Like, like what? What? Why, why? did? The, I mean, was I heard? I well, I did hear that Mid Ohio was dropped for Indian Indianapolis, but then you mentioned, like you said, that the schedule actually went down by one race, so it seemed like they did have an opening. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, if and I've I mean, been a, pro- I've been a proponent that IMSA needs to be more like fifteen races a year. You know, they need they need to add races to the calendar. <laughs> now here they are subtracting it. Good luck with that one. But yeah, I I agree with you too. I pref- I like my sports car racing. I like watching sports car racing, especially on on a Saturday. I like good old fashioned Saturday sports car race. I love Road America. That's the thing that bugged me bummed me out so much was that I couldn't I could didn't get see the chance 
see the Road America race this weekend because I was driving to Michigan when it was happening. Uh, I was already in Michigan. I was just driving to the track. Um, that was just a bummer. But anyway, yeah, interesting, interesting there. Um, interesting. Just interesting to see how all of this is going to play out. We're yeah. we're gonna we'll 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 be talking about it throughout the year. Uh, next piece of news here, we're going to talk about North Wilkesboro Speedway because the um, racetrack re- revival was this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, great uh, crowds. Week. Great, great crowds. crowds. Yes. It looked looked like uh, there was a lot of people there, um, which is which is great to see. Uh, hopefully that that's a good sign of what's to come and if they can continue to improve upon amenities, hopefully that number will just continue to grow because obviously that number was from people who have been anticipating it for a while, but now the big thing is okay now the anticipation is over now the racetrack has been quote-unquote revived i mean not really but like racing has returned there after 12 years of not being there um this now the focus shifts to getting a regular crowd to come out for for the races there and if they can do that then you know like has been talked about hopefully there there's a nascar race in the future so uh but anyway the other piece of big news, the fun news, is that Dale Earnhardt Jr., who will be racing in the cars to a race at Wilkesboro uh, on August 31st, will drive familiar sundrop colors in the number three, as he did when he ran North Wilkesboro in 1993. So that's kind of cool, not just to see Dale Earnhardt Jr. running a race at North Wilkesboro, but also that he's actually going to do a legitimate throwback ride uh, when he does it. Um, moving on into some NASCAR news, Kurt Busch, once again, Mr. Race, as Ty Gibbs filled in for him uh, at Michigan. The team hopes to have him back at Richmond, uh, just hoping Kurt gets better there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see now, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but given how the playoffs look, how Kurt missing the last three races could potentially affect that, given you know what could happen at Richmond, what could happen at Watkins Glen, what could happen to Daytona. A lot of different things could happen, and it's going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out. But definitely, a lot of people have been kind of bringing up, you know, what happens to Kurt Busch here. Obviously, he's got that medical waiver, but, you know, if if something happens and there's more than six, you know, there's more than 16 there's 17 winners, winners. Someone's right. out. Yeah. Someone has to be out, and who will that be? Will it be Kurt Busch? Will it be Austin Sindrick? Will it be... You know, how will all Chase of that Briscoe. work? Chase Briscoe, you know, well, yeah, exactly. You know, how is all of that going to work? Could um, it be someone like uh, like a Corey LaJoy or Brad Keselowski? You know, like, well, we're 29th of points. Oh, you gosh, know. you're right. You're absolutely right about that. So uh, just shoot, man. NASCAR is going to have a lot of interesting things to happen for its, yeah. uh, for itself here. But uh, we're and then how about this? Uh, Colleague Racing announced that Justin Haley is going to run the Daytona Xfinity race um, you know, later this month. So uh, he's going to run the number 14. So it's going to be a four car trio. Uh, probably going to end up with him winning the race. If I know Justin Haley well enough, the dude, I think Justin Haley doesn't get enough credit. I really feel like he doesn't is because and he's he always, he's, he's never like crashing cars. He's usually, but he's finishing races. He's not blowing the world up. He's not setting the world on fire, but, He's also not bringing a bunch of attention to himself. Yep. And when he does bring attention to himself, it's usually because he's out front. Yep. Um, and when the dude gets in a, in a plate race in an Xfinity car, I mean, he turns up 
turns the knob up to 11 and becomes like this modern day like pied piper of uh, of plate racing it's really fun to watch actually i've legitimately like praised him as being one i think i've done it on the show before especially last year and maybe in 2020 as well by saying like i think that justin haley is like one of the best modern day super speedway drivers i mean i'm and especially in the xfinity series i think in the cup series he's kind of struggled i wonder if how much of that goes with um, it, it, it takes it, it takes a, it, the average driver you know 60 plus races to get yeah. his feet wet in the cup series you know uh, exactly so. but i mean he's had good runs yes, uh, yes here and there i remember last year when he was running for spire uh finishing back-to-back top tens at indianapolis and i think the the race either before or after that um Glenn, i think maybe yeah i think it was which that shoot they had that impressed me personally was like mm-hmm. doing that in a spire car i don't care if they were crap shoots wreck fest whatever that's what that's the thing that i was talking about is like he's not gonna set the world on fire but he's not gonna crash out he's not gonna wreck his race car he's not gonna mess mess up and and make a rookie mistake he's gonna finish the race keep his head down and usually put some kind of impressive uh, uh number on the board in terms of finishing um, then the final NASCAR piece of news here before we move on to the featured paint scheme is, uh, and we'll have more on this later in the show, but uh, finally, after what feels like frickin' forever, I've been waiting for this announcement. I was like, I felt like I wrote about this when he did an SRX story. I did, I, I remember this too, because I was in the SRX uh, Zoom call where he, he said this, and I wrote the story about it based upon what he said, and then I got so mad because then it just never got announced. And I was like, well, now I look like some clickbait jerk who wrote this article about something that never even came to fruition. And now finally, after a year of making me look like a complete fool and jackass, Marco Andretti finally announces that he's going to go run an Xfinity race at the Charlotte Roval with Big Machine Racing and Scott Borchetta. Uh, like I said, we we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the race, but uh, what I'm saying right now, my rants have absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about. My rants have all to do with the fact that I looked like a jerk for a year having this story out and being a big, like, search thing, like, anytime somebody searched Marco Andretti NASCAR, like, that was one of the first things that came up because our, our digital optimization team, which I am now a part of, is so great. Um, so now, it, it, so people were reading that and seeing my byline and being like, well, hey, loser, fake news, it's not happening. And I'm like, well, don't look at me. This is just what Marco said. I don't know why it took him so long to put a deal together. I don't know how it took why it took a whole freaking year to get this working out, but finally it did. And finally, I don't look like a jackass every time someone searches Marco Andretti NASCAR. And I'm pretty excited because I'm. I mean, I I haven't been asked, but I was also told we just expect you to be here. We're not going to ask you, but I get to work the Charlotte Roval weekend, so I'm pretty excited and pumped to be there for that. Well, there you go. You should. I I would hope that they would have you work there. I mean, come on, it's you 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 do such great work for them, social media wise. You should absolutely be there. Josh, let's go ahead and move on to the featured paint scheme segment segment of the show because we're finished up with the news. Uh, hopefully, crazy. Wild news doesn't break before the show goes live, and you know, but it it always will, I promise. But we're gonna talk about the uh, featured paint scheme for for now, and that's gonna be the 2001 Indy Racing Northern Light Series. Um, gotta love uh, NorthernLight.com. Do you remember NorthernLight.com, Josh? Nope. 
No, you have no no recollection of it. It was like Lycos. It was a uh, search engine that came and went and got squashed by Yahoo, which later got squashed by Google. Um, yep. That's how it went. Uh, fun fact, actually, this is of, uh, this is of the of Northern Light. This deal, uh, I believe, was supposed to go as far into like 2006 uh, when it was signed, but the uh, dot com bubble burst. And Northern Light went uh, and lost a bunch of money. I don't think they filed for bankruptcy, but I do know they restructured uh, significantly. And they went from a major search engine to now a business management portal. So you can't search it as a search engine, but if you need business solutions, northernlight.com has you covered. All right. Uh, Lycos, however, is still functioning as a search engine somehow. I am actually surprised Bing gets more visitors than Lycos now. Uh, I really would have figured that some people would have stuck with Lycos at the very least and not moved on to Bing. But I guess, you know, being built in on every Windows PC that gets made probably helps you, right? Yeah. Um, it's somehow Yahoo's still beating it. Google's, of course, the top king. I don't yeah. know what Ask.com is doing anymore. It's fun. My, you know what was fun about doing this, Josh, was too, was going through all of the one-off paint schemes that were sponsored by all of these websites that completely, like, don't even exist anymore, entirely yeah. restructured, or were bought out, or were fads because of the dot-com bubble, and it's just like, wow, this is going to be fun. I can't wait for when we're doing this show when we're in our 50s, and we're talking about the 2022 IndyCar series, and how and and 2022 NASCAR and how Bitcoin and cryptocurrency sponsorship was all the rage. And then it went away and all of these sponsorships get signed. And it's just the same thing. It's like history repeats itself, man. These Here we go. The dot-com bubble popped up and Northern Lights signed this ridiculous deal to be the title sponsor for so long. And then we're done and had like by, by the end of this 2001, like they were not even... They by that point they basically say yeah we're not a search engine anymore and they got out of their contract and that was it so but uh, Josh who did you pick here because I I I this was a fun year for me watching the uh, 2001 IRL I have a lot of these diecasts a lot of these diecasts a ton of these diecasts actually because uh, like I said when I was a very very young kid the IRL was pretty much all my dad exposed me to for some reason I don't know why. Um, but uh, especially living in Indianapolis, this is really all I saw. I didn't get to see cart races. Like, you're you're four or five years old during the split era, and you live in Indianapolis. Are you going to see a cart race if, you're, if your dad doesn't take you to Michigan? No, you're not. Um, so I never saw one. So forgive me, everybody who is uh, probably from track forum. But Josh, you've got an interesting pick here because uh, I love these two guys. Um, uh, they drove for uh, a team that... Um, I believe owns a group of auto, still owns a group of auto dealerships here in the Indi- in, in Indiana. Thanks. So. Um, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn the reins over to you, and you're going to tell us all about your feature paint scheme. Yeah, I'll go with the. Uh, I can't. You can't just in this situation. You can't pick one without the other. Um, it's just you just can't. I'm going with the duo at Kelly Racing: Scott Sharp and Mark Dismore. Uh, Sharp was in the number eight, and Dismore was in the in the number twenty eight. But both drove very, very similar Delphi Automotive Systems red, yellow, and black schemed 
cars. It, it I mean, for, in NASCAR terms, it was Bill Elliott and Casey Atwood in 2001 for Everham. I mean, it's exactly what this was. Um, I remember playing uh, playing with the 2002 version of this uh, of this car, and it was Sharp's car. Um, and it's the scheme is right up there with Tony Kanaan's 7-Eleven scheme as a, as one that comes to mind when you say IRL. That is the, these are like the two schemes that kind of like live rent free in my head um, for that iteration of American open wheel racing. Uh, the only difference between the two schemes uh, was their associate sponsors on the tub, on the rear of the tub and like the engine cover. Other than that, they were pretty similar, obviously eight 28. So that's different. Um, Sharp made all 13 starts and won once at Texas in the summer. It was a summer Texas race and he scored four podiums. He DNF'd three times, but finished third in the points. Uh, Dismore did not fare as well uh, as Sharp did. He failed to finish seven times. So more than half the races he failed to finish. Yeah, but it sounds he, par for the course with Mark Desmore sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's you're right, you're right. Uh, but he also podium one time at Gateway. So that's Don't get good. me wrong, I love Dismore. He's from Greenfield. It's just, you know, you're I'm driving not... in the IRL in 2001. Nobody exactly expects you to finish a bunch of races. <laughs> well, he finished 14th in the final standings there. So awesome paint scheme here. Uh, again, you can't pick one without the other. It's you just. You just can't. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I went against the picking one scheme deal here, but I had to pick them both, and uh, I won't apologize for it. I'm a co-host of the show. Well, I've got a paint scheme that also failed to finish most of the races. Uh, out of 13 races, this paint scheme failed to finish eight times, Holy but damn. also won a race. Won a race. Um, well, actually, one of the... We'll talk about this. Eddie Cheever's... Number 51, Excite at Home, Delara. Josh, I was actually going to talk to you about this because I mentioned all of those failed, uh, or not failed, most of some of them were failed, not all of them. Uh, search engines. Excite was another one. Excite, and, and, and Excite at Home was like an internet service provider. So, like, they not only had their own web, uh, they not only had their own web browser and, and search engine, but then they also provided their own uh, internet service, Excite at Home. So you could go to Excite.com and it would be web browser and then Excite at Home would basically give you your emails and you you would you, you could get emails, you could web, search web, you could do all that stuff and then you could also get your email from Excite. Surprisingly, uh, I think it still has a Facebook page. It has a Facebook page for some reason. I liked it when I was 15. Okay. Because I was curious about it in the same regard that I liked Lycos's Facebook page, which hasn't been updated in several years. Uh, but I digress. Um, this car, I loved it because, again, I had a die cast of it as a kid as well, uh, and I still do. It's cool die cast. The silver and black is what gets me the most about this. I love this. I love this car. Um, and Cheever, uh, this was the last car uh, type of car that Cheever ran before uh, they went. he got the Red Bull sponsorship took on Thomas Schechter, all that stuff. This was Cheever's lone car that, that he entered for his team, Cheever. Uh, it was still an Infinity-powered, so, you know, that obviously attributed to a lot of the DNFs. Uh, but he did have a, one, a, a race win at Kansas. That can't be forgotten. Um, and actually, uh, here's a fun fact about this. Of the races that he finished, he only he finished in the top 10. So 
when Cheever was finishing races, he was finishing well in the top 10. The only problem he failed to finish eight out of 13 races. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, but he ended up finishing eighth overall in the standings because, you know, it's the IRL in 2001. And it's not exactly like Donnie Beachler is your greatest piece of talent. Uh, Greg Ray got fired halfway through the season. So and uh, Sam Hornish came onto the field and started to say and basically told everybody, you all suck. Congratulations. I'm going to go on and have a legendary career and all of you are going to be forgotten into nobodies. That's pretty much what happened. That's what happened. <laughs> and it's exactly what happened. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and it was it was the penultimate uh, season for Cheever running full time. Uh, he ran one final full time season in the IRL in 2002 before retiring and then coming back in 2006, running a handful of races, maybe half the season uh, before calling it quits again and joining the ESPN on ABC booth where he promptly put uh, he put all of us to sleep for a number of years calling races because he's just so boring to listen to but good good race car driver has a number of great f1 um podiums uh to his name so can't you know it, my uncle used to call him eddie under eddie, eddie underachiever i don't know if that was fair Oof. Oof. <laughs> Oof. i don't know that that was all that fair um but uh, let's move on to the uh, upshift-downshift here before I uh, embarrass my uncle more um, and make Eddie Cheever mad at me. Uh, upshift-downshift is the next segment of the show. If you're new here, here's how it works. We're going to be presented with a series of hypothetical questions and or statements. And Josh and I are going to either upshift if we agree, downshift if we disagree, shift into neutral if we don't feel one way or the other. And we're going to need to explain ourselves. We're going to have a debate, lively debate, lively discussion. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't. Uh, we encourage you to play along as well. Everybody, you can play along. You'll have a Spotify question of the week that will go along for Spotify listeners. And we will also post the uh, selected Spotify question of the week for our Twitter audience. So if you follow us on Twitter, you can respond directly to that tweet or use the hashtag RobinRoller anytime uh, to let us know what you your shifting is. So starting off with the first one here, uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Ryan Blaney were both very, very close to missing the playoffs. They're going to miss them. Josh, you upshift or downshift? This is one of the toughest questions I think we've had on this show. I don't know. Um, I, I, it, uh, my, my brain is like, like up, down, up, down, up, down, neutral, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's like going everywhere. I, I just, my gut tells me that Toyotas are going to run good at Richmond this week, and it's going to be Martin Church Jr. that wins. So. But other than that, I don't. I don't have any confidence that these guys can win. It's like we're running really, really good. You're kind of running well. They're finishing well, but they're not winning. It's these other guys. Heck, it could be Bubba that wins next week, and they're both screwed because then they're both out of the playoffs, right? Um, I uh, yeah, I, I I'm going to to downshift because I think that Truex will get a win. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to downshift. It's interesting that you would say that because I'm downshifting because I think Blaney is going to get a win and Truex is going to miss. Okay. Uh, but, as you said, well, here's the thing. Blaney's a lot higher up in points than Truex is, and he I is. think that he has that. Well, it's going by a few positions. They're, they're both like top six, top seven. Yes, yes but, he, but still, Blaney has a higher position than Truex, so I think that's going to help him in the long run. Um, I also think 
Blaney has Daytona coming up. He's a typically a good plate driver. Um, Truex has that opportunity. Probably he, he's won on road courses before, so I wouldn't put him past Watkins Glen. I also wouldn't put him past Rich, Richmond. But I think Blaney's going to get in as well. I think it's going to be tougher for Truex to get in than it would be for Blaney just because I think Blaney's having solid runs. Truex is too. But I think Blaney's just got that a little bit better. It's just a little bit better than Truex uh, this year, and that's why I'm going to say that it's going to be him. Now, however, like you said, uh, let's say this doesn't happen. Let's say mass chaos happens. Uh, like, I mean, heck, I thought Bubba was going to win that race. I mean, that car was stupid fast uh, all race long. Yes. Um, and I I really did. I thought a late race yellow was going to be the only thing that was going to get him the, the track position that he needed to get to, get to Harvick. But overall, I thought he had one of, if not the fastest cars out there on the racetrack on Sunday. Um, just circumstance happens. And, and that's the thing. I don't know why he was beating himself up about it. It's like, dude, circumstances happen. Sometimes you have the fastest car, but... Hey, he wears his I, emotions on his sleeve. I mean, it, it, when he breaks into a top five, he's a different driver at the end of the race. He's going to he's gonna go over every little thing that he, he felt like he did wrong, whether he did it wrong or not. Unless, yeah, yeah that's just the way he is. I mean... And you know, but there's a lot on the line, right? There's a I lot on that. the line. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot on the line, and I and they brought him a fast car, and I know he wanted to deliver. I know you want to deliver, but I think for Bubba, it's a situation of you're 20th in the points. You could get a win, you could get in the playoffs, but then it becomes okay. Now, how do we? Now, how does Bubba like advance? You know, because that's the thing when when you talk about getting into the playoffs, and I think this is what some drivers have to understand and take a step back is like, yes, you want to win and you want to still be winning no matter what. But if you can't win and you still pull out a big, a a good run, especially someone like Bubba, you've got to ask yourself, okay, well, uh, if we won the race, how would we do? We'd have it just put more pressure on you for the playoffs. And then because you already came in 20th in points. Unless you go on an absolute tear throughout the last ten races, it's it's gonna be tough for you. It's gonna be tough for anybody who came in already twentieth in points or belower who made the playoffs to usually advance. Those guys that have a whole ton of playoff points, guys that typically have you know are running in the top ten at every stage, those are the guys that are usually gonna be able to advance. Not just because they have wins, but because of where they run consistently on the track. And just because of that, they're running well week in and week out. You know, we talked about Bubba last week at, at the IMS road course. I mean, that was great. That was a great run. But look at where he finished to the, the other road course races. You know, not great. <laughs> you know, so and he's got Charlotte to he would have Charlotte to worry about. So unless he put out a good, so that's what that's my logic is. I would have to, I would be the one to say, Bubba, hey, dude, big picture, man, you finished second. In, to Kevin Harvick in probably one of the fastest cars ev- out there, and you turned a lot of heads. You had a lot of people looking at you. There was a lot of people rooting for you at the end of the day. I mean, there was a lot of people in the crowd on Sunday that were happy to see Harvick win. But there were a lot of people there that were clearly pretty bummed out to see Bubba run second to him. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of people who really were. I mean, I gotta tell you, man, it wasn't just me calling for a caution when Suarez cut a tire. Whole rest of the grandstands were set, were shouting. It, it looked like everybody was shouting, trying to get the flagman's attention and say, "Hey, throw the yellow, throw the like." You just saw everybody's heads look at the monitors and and look at Suarez's car on the backstretch, and then everybody's heads just turned right to the flagman. 
be like, dude, is he going to throw it? Is he going to throw it? Because then that means Bubba's going to have a chance, you know? And there were a lot of Bubba fans in, in, in the crowd today, too, So it, it on Sunday. So, again, it, it goes back to that. But not to get too far off topic here, I think it's going to be very, very tough for both of them to make the playoffs. I think that's why I'm downshifting overall. I think that it's 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 going to be tough for them both to get in, but it's not going to be impossible for one to get in. So one gets in, both don't. That's pretty much how I'm going. Okay. All right, Josh. Here's we were, we were saving this. I talked about Marco Andretti making me look like a jerk. For about a year, Marco Andretti is making his NASCAR debut at the Charlotte Roval, a road course and not an oval. How do you shift on that, Josh? I was a little shocked by this, honestly. Um, I thought he would make his debut on an oval. Um, Especially with, well, I guess the SRX cars are probably, they're using a a regular H pattern. But uh, are they, no, are they using a regular H pattern in an SRX car? Are Mm -hmm. they using a sequential? I thought it was an H pattern. Maybe it's an H pattern. Either way, I just thought it'd be, um, you know, Marco Andretti making his NASCAR debut. It was going to be an an oval, an oval race. So I was a little shocked about that. I mean, uh, road course, a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. and. You know, I don't expect him to go out there and qualify fifth and to be ahead of the calamity. Um, I don't. If he does, great. I just don't expect him to do that. I fully expect him to, this car is guaranteed in the race, or I will probably still be guaranteed in the race come October 8th or 9th or whatever day it is. Um, I I, I just think he's going to probably qualify 26. He's going to be out there in the middle of the swarm. and. It's going to get ugly real quick. And whereas I feel like an oval racetrack, I, his first outing in a NASCAR would be a little bit cleaner in my book. So I cut. I want to down. I'm going to downshift this. And you know, Marco your- Andretti's career is a bit of a weird enigma, uh, and it never made sense to me because, you know, he started. You know, he ran Indy Lights, which was predominantly on ovals, but he did really well on the road courses that they ran. Um, he joined the IRL, which again was predominantly oval, but got his first win on Sonoma, which was a road course. He then proceeded to go and have mixed results <laughs> everywhere he went yeah. from the rest of his entire indie career. And he won finally at Iowa, which was also an oval. He only ever seemed to run well at Indianapolis, an oval. So it's kind of weird that he would make his debut on a road course, especially given how much success he's had on ovals recently. Like he's had a lot more recent success on ovals than he has on a road course. Like I like like I said, the le- when was the last time you saw Marco do anything of note on a road course outside of his one lone win in 2006's rookie season at Sonoma? Not a lot. Not exactly. So it is kind of puzzling. It is kind of puzzling. But to that point, I think that you seem to see a lot of open wheel racers who run road courses have better results than those who run the ovals. And I don't know why that is. 
It could be uh, because the, the 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 regulars know how to set up the car better, so they just outdrive them. Uh, it, it could be the the learning curve that is required with driving a heavy stock car on an oval as opposed to an Indy car that has tons and tons of downforce and is traveling at you know almost 40, 50 miles an hour faster, sometimes 60, 70 miles an hour faster in some cases. Um, it honestly, I think if you're Marco at this point, though, it doesn't really matter. It's just more about getting that NASCAR ride and getting that experience that he needs. And if he feels more comfortable doing that on a road course, if he feels like it's an opportunity for him to be more competitive, then I'd upshift it every single day. I don't see the necessarily a problem with it. And and just because he's starting getting his first race on a road course doesn't mean that the door is closed for him to run ovals. I'm sure if this deal finally came through, someone would have to look at him and say, okay, well, Marco, you you won the SRX championship. Okay, you've run a road course race in NASCAR. Now let's have you tackle an oval. It could It could just be getting him up to speed in in the car and in in a way that he's familiar with. So I'm going to personally upshift it, but that that's just where I'm going. Okay. How about this for a question? Like we talked about the, I, I, I speculated, you know, we don't know if, if Lando Norris is going to have a right. That might be a little bit more of an out there take, but a more, it is, <laughs> it is a very out there take, but a more of a, cooler take is our next question here which is daniel ricardo returns to formula one in 2023 upshifting or downshifting that josh um i mean to me what you have a you have a williams ride that's open i think alpha Tauri has one ride open you have alpine that has a ride open and seemingly a mclaren that's got a ride open um I don't see him going to Williams. I don't see him going to AlphaTauri. I don't think he should turn to McLaren. <laughs> There's only one ride that, that works for him. It's Alpine. And what's what's Alpine's thought process? Um, I, I don't think, even if, let's say, Oscar is going back to Alpine and he's not driving for McLaren next year, and that, that whole thing, however that gets settled, does not get settled in the direction he wants to go. Daniel Ricciardo's not returning to Formula One it, with McLaren next year. I firmly believe that. If he does, it's Alf, it's Alpine. That's where he's going. I'm going to. I'm going to. I, I'm not going to up down up or down shift. I'm just going to rip the, the shifter just straight out of the transmission. And say I'm gonna it's <laughs> gonna straight out like I don't know I think I I um the car. yeah I'm I'm going but in all seriousness I think I'm going to I think I'm going to downshift I got a sick feeling here and I don't like it um I love Daniel Daniel Ricardo um I think he's he is one of the best personalities I think that's ever come through the Formula One paddock and it's in it's seventy plus year history and to lose that is a tragedy it's kind of like it's going to be on par when AJ Allmendinger. I know this is totally different, but when AJ Allmendinger finally calls it a, a career and he retires, that's going to be a, that's going to be a really sad day for 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 racing in a NASCAR. And the same thing goes here for Daniel Ricardo. I don't think he returns though, so I downshift. 
Um, yeah, this one's kind of interesting, just given the fact that I have absolutely no idea what McLaren is doing, and I have absolutely no idea who's going where, who's going to drive for who, I just don't know. One thing we do know is that, given how McLaren is acting, I don't think they see a future with Daniel Ricciardo. Um, now, is there going to be a straight, straight driver swap for, I mean, Piastri Ricardo? Maybe. Is Ricardo willing to go back to Alpine? If it means staying in Formula One, period, I, I maybe I don't know. I mean, it can't be any worse than what he's doing with McLaren now, right? I mean, it, it'd be more of a lateral move, if anything, uh, which his move initial move to McLaren was anyway was pretty lateral move. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be tough. Uh, I have to. I have to upshift it though. I, I, I think it'll probably be a driver swap Piastri for Ricardo if it does happen. I don't think that any F one team is gonna want to let Ricardo go away. Um, yeah, sure. There's a couple of open seats. You know, you've got the Williams. I mean, Latifi's not gonna be there. You don't know who's gonna occupy that role. Some people have already started to say it could be Sargent. Some people have said that it could be. Uh, DeVries, some it's people one said, of those two guys. Yeah, it could be, you know, it could it could be anybody, I don't know. It could it be Ricardo, I guess, I don't know. Um it, I I think it all depends ultimately too on what Ricardo might have lined up after F1, like if he gets an opportunity. Like I I read that he didn't want to do IndyCar cuz he didn't want to do ovals, so he probably wouldn't do that. But like if he got an opportunity to run NASCAR, would he take it? Probably. Uh, I don't know that he would take Supercar's role. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing. I don't really know where to, what he, where he would go. Out. I, I don't see Daddy Rick as a guy who would want to run sports cars. I feel like he would be someone who would want to be competitive. You know, on a not to say sports cars isn't on a grand stage, but I feel like he would be. He's someone who wants to be competitive on his own, not kind of like sharing the driving duties with other people. I want to see Dan. I want to do not to interrupt you, but I want to do. I want him to do one F one commentating role. Just, just oh, one. that'd be great. Like alongside Crofty, just one, just one, just one. I think ultimately too. I I'd like to see him do NASCAR if he's willing to do it and if he can mm-hmm. get a deal together. Obviously, like we were just talking about, it took Marco Andretti a whole freaking year to get a deal together to run one Xfinity race. Lord knows how long it would probably take Ricardo to get a whole deal together if he was gonna run even a handful of races who knows but yeah ultimately i'm downshifting though i i just i don't i don't see danny rick in f1 next year unless it's a straight driver swap him for piastri and he's willing to go back to alpine and alpine's willing to have him yeah um all right how about this one uh this is gonna be fun the music city grand prix had 13 retirements among 26 starters do you upshift or downshift this josh I mean, I'm not. I, I can't. I'm not going to downshift it, but I'm not happy about it. So I guess I kind of got to upshift it. Look, up until Kyle Kirkwood crapped the bed and took out himself and David Malukas, I think this race is going pretty clean. Myself, my my opinion of it, it was anyways. But attrition's good. Interesting, you know. I, I think it for here. If you're an Erickson, if you're a power fan, if you're even a new guard fan, you're like, well, thank goodness there's all this attrition because our guys had issues. 
and the points battle is still relatively it's, it's swapped places is really is relatively close if you're some of these guys who are out like a grosjean and you're like well i'm pretty mad at new garden you know that's that was a crappy move by him if you're anyone who got wrecked by a young guy, you're probably upset too. But attrition, there's nothing inherently wrong with attrition. It's why the attrition came about. And to me, look, it did get into a little bit of a crash fest there at the end, but it's a street course. IndyCar drivers are aggressive. They're going to go for it. I'm not, I, I'm, I can't downshift that myself. And, you know, as Robin and you were talking about before the show, if it wasn't for that, again, that Kirkwood Malukas wreck, I don't think we really are having this, it's not this big of a deal. There's not this many cars taken out. Just saying. So what's the lesson on that? You got to learn to race cleaner and be smarter on a restart? Is that is that the lesson here? Maybe so. I don't know. I upshift. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I, I have to be the kind of, the guy who has to, sit here and say it. I'm not a huge fan of this Nashville street circuit. Um, I think I've made it clear in the past that I think they would be better off going to the Nashville Super Speedway, obviously, for uh, numer- numerous reasons, for multiple reasons. This is That's not happening. Um, but so, you know, I just have to sit here and deal with what I've been dealt with IndyCar and just kind of try and find positives with it. Um, but Josh, I mentioned this to you before the race, before we, we went on the show, but they've had an average of seven and a half cautions. I mean, that's eight cautions last year, seven cautions this year. You have this crazy high attrition. Is it aggression? Yes. Is it the tracks very narrow? Yes. It's a, it's a combination. It's a perfect storm of all these things. And that's something that I think really bugs me about this Nashville street circuit is, is it's, it doesn't, it's not that it's, it's not so much challenging. It feels more like it's a crapshoot, you know? Oh, you survived one of the many restarts and didn't get punted going into turn one or coming out of, you know, some of the, the tighter turns that are on the track. Look, I, I just, I don't know. I don't like, how there seems to be such a lack of respect overall in motorsports yeah. today. I mean, we, t- we talked about it in NASCAR um, last week and a couple of weeks ago as well. And we talked, we're talking about it now in IndyCar where you're seeing this lack of respect. You're seeing these drivers argue and fight, not just on track, but then on Twitter after the show, after the race, it's it, it to me, it just feels like this Nashville circuit still needs some tweaking to really, get it to the point where it can produce good racing. I don't think you're uh, wrong on that. I, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I agree. Because you look at Long Beach and Long Beach is, is tight and technical and kind of narrow. And it had, but it, and it has a fast circuit in shoreline, a fast section of the tracks, especially in shoreline drive in the same regard as Nashville, but you don't see drivers, you know, driving with their heads up their butts at Long Beach. Now, is that because, Long Beach is more prestigious than Nashville. I don't know. But Nashville is a lot closer to the end of the season where points are mattering. So you would think that people would, you know, maybe keep their heads a little bit cleaner there for mm-hmm. that reason. Maybe not because of the prestigious prestigiousness of the race, but because just to save their points day. Or drivers are more even more aggressive because they see more opportunities to pass on this track. And 
they know that there's going to be so many restarts that they could take advantage of, so they're just going to be overly aggressive. Either way, there has to be some something done in terms of driver courtesy and in terms of how drivers race one another, whether that's accomplished in the driver's meeting, whether it's accomplished one-on-one, whether that's accomplished within teams, whether that's accomplished with, you know, alterations in the track, I don't know. But ultimately, what I do know right now is that Nashville cannot continue to put on these ra- these races that spend more time under caution that, than, than they do under green flag conditions. Because that's yes. not fair to the Nashville fans who are going to go and see a NASCAR race, you know, 40 miles up the road. No, excuse me, not 40 miles, 40 minutes up the road. And it's going to be relatively calm, going to have a, good, a, a lot of good racing action. You know, you don't want to kill that event, especially when NASCAR is in town and we can see how NASCAR outdraws IndyCar. You don't want to kill that event by making the NASCAR race seem more prestigious or more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not really prestigious, but more professional. Does that make yeah. sense? I mean, because this NASCAR is taking place, like I said, 40 minutes up the road, whereas Nashville, this IndyCar race is in the heart of downtown. You want to put on the most professional race that you can, especially if you're racing in downtown Nashville around a relatively, you know, populated area of the city where a lot of people are coming out and potentially getting their first uh, exposure to IndyCar racing. You don't want them to go out there and see this as some kind of bumper cars where they spend a whole bunch of time under caution and then decide, yeah, we're not going to come back next year because it wasn't really racing or it wasn't really what we expected. That's the thing that they really have to look in, and, and that's something that has to be addressed and, and hopefully worked on for the future. Okay, so uh, despite the rain, this is the next question here, despite the rain, Sunday's race attendance at Michigan was proof that some tracks can benefit from having only one sink, one cup date. Do you upshift or downshift that, Josh? Uh, yeah, I upshift. Um, I mean, Michigan... Michigan wasn't getting the greatest attendance. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. It's not just it's not one single thing. But I think in this era where we, we I think it's it's a good idea to concentrate on, you know, a couple tracks. They have they have two dates, but let's go to as many markets. Let's bring the racing to people at, 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 as much as we can, whether that be a permanent circuit or yes, maybe even a street circuit. Um, but let's, let's hit as many tracks as we can. Um, you know, Rob, we're, we're, we're going to Chicago. We're losing North America. Kansas has two dates. Does Kansas deserve two dates? Does Richmond deserve two dates? Can we shift a Richmond date to another short track in the country where that can be, that can be a benefit. Kansas, I would not mind Kansas losing a date to Iowa or Road America. You know, let's, let's think about that for a second. So. I think I think Michigan. It's great. Let's make it. It's one show. Hey, this is the time. This is when NASCAR's in town. Come to it or not. You know they sold out camping. That's fantastic. First time since '07, I think they they sold out camping there. So, um, really, uh, yeah, I got to upshift it. I think it's it, it was proof that one date, while it stinks, but it also helps when you when you're in Michigan's position. You have a money, you have a, a you have like a profit sharing center with ISC and, and, and NASCAR. So you can kind of draw a little bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. We all got the same amount of money, but we're going to shift a little bit more, more money towards track A and take it from track B because track B doesn't really need it right now, but they're doing improvements at track A. So that's, that's where it thinks to be a Pocono, a gateway or an Indianapolis. 
you're all by yourself there. You lose a date, you know, when Pocono lost a date, that that's that's half their income right there, you know, from for our from TV revenue. So uh but in Michigan's case, I, I upshifted. I upshifted. I'm not gonna disagree with you. The only thing that I'll say about that was it definitely felt like on Sunday, being a fan in the crowd, um you could definitely tell that there was a strong passion amongst the fans. It wasn't like it was a, it wasn't like these were casual fans that had never been to a race before. This was a group of fans that had been coming here for years and have been coming here for years. Um and I think in that regard it's a situation where this is my question to a lot of these tracks, especially NASCAR owned tracks, especially SMI owned tracks. You know, how do you guys justify having these big tracks and really only having them be used at at or near capacity one weekend out of the year? I I, I don't know how that is. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, the revenue sharing probably helps a lot of that, especially within ISC and SMI. But a lot, of, but this also makes me wonder: is it's like Michigan? This is like I'm walking in on Sunday, and this is, and I, I it's having, it's taking me a minute to kind of like realize, like this is the only time anybody is going to be here all year, like any. For for events, I mean, sure, there's gonna have they're gonna have some smaller events overall, but like in terms of a race fan being here for the purpose of this track, of this track's existence, this is the only time that it's gonna be here. This really surprises me, you know. And 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 again, you know, given how NASCAR is willing to move in a different direction, I understand that. Yeah, okay, some tracks probably only need one date but i felt like back then you know when track it, it felt like tracks had multiple events at them during the course of the year and you know for years prior it was like only indianapolis you know, like let's say prior to the brickyard's inception like only indianapolis was that one track that only hosted one event a year you know all of the other Tracks out there either hosted a NASCAR race, had two NASCAR dates, had IndyCar races, had, uh, you know, USAC races in some cases, depending on how old you get, uh, had an infield road course that they could, you know, have some kind of sports car event on it. You know, they had other events. And it seems like NASCAR is going to have a, a track like a Michigan where this is the only date that it has. This is the only big event that it has. And it makes me seriously wonder, how is this sustainable? You know, how how is it sustainable for NASCAR to continuously remove these race dates and then, you know, continue to operate these big things? I mean, if one if the one race deal, let's say Michigan happens, let's say it rains out. Let's say, or not it rain, not not that it rains out. Let's say it happened. It's more like the IRL race, the last IRL race I went to at Michigan in 07, where it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. And it wasn't until the very last minute of the window that they finally said, all right, track's dry. We're ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's try and get this thing done as quick as we can. But by that point, everybody had already gone home because they figured the race was over. And then all of a sudden, that's a bunch of revenue that you lose out on. 
And that's a bunch of walk-up potential that you lose out on. It's a lot of potential parking that you lose out on as well. You know, how how do you sustain yourself after that? It's it it it, it kind of just these are questions I have. Maybe it's because I don't work in in tracks. I don't know what the numbers are to that. But to get around to get this 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 roundabout way of saying it, if you're only if NASCAR is only going to give these tracks one date that they own, there has to be something else to do because I would absolutely they has to I have to understand that if I'm willing to pay money to go up and see a NASCAR race at Michigan, I'm probably willing to pay money to go up and see another race at Michigan. You know, and in fact, if they still had two dates, if the budget allowed for it, it would probably be something that I would do both times. This leads me to that point where, all right, NASCAR, SMI, and IndyCar all need to work together and figure out a way to get at least some of these ovals other dates. You know, because if you're going to take away these NASCAR dates and go to a new new place, that's all good and fine, but you can't you can't let the fans just go just just have this one thing that they get to go to all year. You know, you have you have to provide something. You have to have some kind of other alternate revenue stream. And yes, probably they already do. But adding some kind of other race, like an IndyCar event, and I'm not saying I understand I harp on IndyCar coming back to Michigan all the time, all the time, but it's not just Michigan. It's other tracks that NASCAR has gone from two dates down to one. You know, consider looking at this as an alternative revenue stream. And even if it's not that, if you have an infield road course, take advantage of that. Take advantage of that as well and try and, you know, Indianapolis does such a great job. And and yes, they have the advantage of being Indianapolis, you know, series want to go there. But, you know, if if you can get like these these sports car weekends or these vintage car weekends or something, this stuff, that stuff's really popular and cool. I love going out to IMS for sports car, or like obscure sports cars or vintage cars or something. I mean... If you're telling me I could go out and see some kind of vintage car race around MIS, I might take it if I'm in the area. And if I live up there, yeah, it would be definitely something I would consider. So that's really more towards where my rant is coming from. And Josh, I know you want to add something here real quick, so I'm going to let you do that. But that's really my one concern is by taking off all of these, all of these, by NASCAR giving some races down to one race, does that then hurt the potential for the rest of the revenue stream? Could it potentially hurt the track's health in the long term because it could not be making as much money to put back into uh, facility improvements and whatnot? You know, these are questions that I'm answering. Obviously, you know, I think the people in charge probably have be- a better answer than I do, but I'm always going to try and make my case for IndyCar returning to a Michigan or to a Kentucky or to a Chicagoland or a Pocono or even a Kansas. I'm still always going to say that, and I think that it, it it needs to be considered because as a fan, I personally would love to have another excuse to go up and see a race at Michigan, and I don't really care what that race is. The one thing I will add, I think, is important to remember, like I'll, I'll use Gateway as an example, like Gateway. Gateway used to have essentially three standalone races. You had the Bush Series go up there on its own, the Truck Series go up on their own, and IndyCar go up there on its own. I don't... The, the days of 
like a Michigan, for instance, I don't think it's really happened with Michigan, but you're never going to see Michigan host a cup race only and a, a bush race only and a truck race oh, only. Oh, no, no, no. Because no, it, it, to, the, the money to the money to put up to run the facility is, is just too high in, in today's market. And are you going to be able to find a sponsor that's going to put the money up to cover those costs so you can have that? I don't, I don't think that so to have multiple dates, I think the only time you would have Michigan get multiple dates is if you were to create an IndyCar race weekend for it. Right? Exactly, and that's Maybe what I was saying. And like, if you wanted to bring the the truck series to Michigan and get that additional revenue stream, you're not going to have four races on the one weekend. I mean, they could, but I don't think they would. They have they have done it? You, I would, I think logically, Kansas did this for years, and it, it was a massive. It was a pretty big success, and Texas did it as well. You Vegas had the, the Vegas. Well, that's a different. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, but I'm talking about I'm going to talk about Kansas and Texas. The two tracks that I do know did that where they had the IndyCar race was the big show and the truck series supported it. And that was the case for years. That was the case. For, like, I always remember the truck series went to Texas the same uh, time as the IndyCar series. And to be honest with you, I just thought it was it was like the celebration of NASCAR and IndyCar before this Brickyard weekend got started. I mean, that was the celebration of racing. You know, that's what I would like to see go to do Michigan again is bring the truck series there on Saturday and have the IndyCar race there on Sunday. Would NASCAR be willing to do that? I would hope that they would, given that they own the track and would want to be able to profit off of any kind of race as much as they can. But to your point, you're absolutely right in that, you know, the idea of hosting just one race and just one event and not having support events is it, it, that's a thing of the past. Yeah. yeah. All right. So if we don't have any more thoughts on that, let's go ahead and move on to the next question here. Um, IndyCar should have stripped Alexander Rossi of his victory in the Gallagher Grand Prix at Indianapolis for using a water bottle as an instrument to meet minimum weight in post-race inspection. Do you upshift or downshift Josh? You mentioned uh, the Astros here. Oh, and, uh, you're going yeah, yeah, you're going to say it. Dang it! All right. Um, I I say sorry. I didn't mean to. I just wanted uh, the chance to crap on the Astros because I'm a Mariners fan. Sorry. Ah, uh, uh, you're good. So they say I want to I want to say this. What they said. What IndyCar said. Because I, I my my opinion of this actually changed after hearing after reading, uh, the transcript on Reason Why. So they said it was a technical violation, not a sporting violation. All right. I actually agree with this. This is just a this is a technical error that yes, you met the minimum weight. You did it the wrong way, right? And I say to like the the, the twenty seventeen ad Houston Astros. So I will defend the Astros. I kind of have always defended the Astros. I'm like, it was a technical violation. Everyone's trying to steal signs. Everyone's trying to do it. They're not doing anything. No one else is doing. They kind of went about it wrong. So therefore, it's a technical violation, not a sporting violation. Sorry, I just had to bring the Astros in there. It's the first thing I actually thought about. Not kidding you at all. It's the first thing I thought about when this came out. As soon so, as you mentioned that, I was like, "All right, I have to be able to trash them somehow." Uh, so I would say they're banging I, on trash cans because they're yeah. trash. Sorry, 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 sorry. Go ahead. I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> well, I'm gonna downshift. I mean, I think since it, I mean, yes, it is a technical violation. I downshift this one, not a sporting one. So, um, 
yeah, I, they there's nothing there was nothing weight wrong with the car. It was how they got the weight weight. So I went downshift. I'm neutral. I couldn't care less about this. If they stripped his win, okay, I guess. If since they upheld the win, but just fined him, it doesn't. It's like okay, well, he got punished for it. Big deal, you know. And this is such a petty thing where it's like, yeah, okay, they were within the rules, but they cheated. Well, yeah, everybody's cheating. Okay, what does it matter? Like, to me, this it, this seems like it's such a big deal to some people. But when I read it, I was just like, okay, team cheated more at eleven. I've seen yeah. it since forever. If you're not cheating, you're not it's winning. Just, it's news because you never hear about these type of things in IndyCar. It's always like a NASCAR thing. You never hear about Formula One, a team failed well, post race. It's just, it's just, it's just such a foreign thing. I don't think it's super foreign, but I understand where you're coming from. Like I've seen IndyCar drivers fail, you know, tech and and fail scrutineering and have to go through tech again. But and, if you, fa- but have they failed post race? Oh, I'm sure they have. It just probably hasn't been the winner. So you probably haven't noticed it as often. I mean, I know I know it's happened before. You just it, I think this is the first time recently where it's been the winner. So again, it this was it's not to say that like this question was bad or anything because I mean, it's a good question. I think it's it's interesting to talk about because of how the technical technicality was and how you know, and why they were penalized and the reasoning behind it, but for me, it, it, I, I, racing is you're you're gonna get penalized all the time, right? right because you're just trying to. You, everybody's cheating. It's just sometimes people get caught. And it's not cheating. You're trying to be innovative. They're trying to exactly. work inside the gray area. It's not cheating. Cheating is when you put in a turbo when you're not supposed to have a turbo. Well, okay, yeah, yeah you're That's right. Cheating. It's, it's it's entering a snail in the Indy 500 that's been, you know, of course infused with nitrous. Of course, that's what you think about. Oh gosh! Well, you said turbo. I couldn't help. I it. know. I, why can't you just thought about? You know. Did you know that the Wii U version of uh, Turbo Super Stunt Squad is worth like almost two hundred dollars now? And I got it randomly as a Christmas gift from one year. A good investment. Yeah, I really want the 3DS version though because it's an actual racing game. The console version is like a Tony Hawk like pro skater ripoff that's just worse um it's it's like tony hawk but with snails and with worth worse mechanics um but i want the 3ds version because it's like an actual racing game where you actually like race the other like snails in the group or whatever i want that one but i can't seem to find it because i don't know what went what happened to it but the mobile version was just like it because i had the mobile version on my old samsung galaxy s3 mini way back when in 2013 um that was that played just like the 3ds version but all right enough about that nonsense last uh upshift downshift question here kevin harvick is in the top 10 in overall standings and picked up his first win in nearly two years at michigan do you upshift or downshift that he is now a threat to make it to the championship race at phoenix what a downshift um i think he They've had the consistency to certainly get out of the round of 16. They probably can get into the round of eight, but I don't see him going to the championship four. I, I, I just don't. I think uh, I think the Toyotas were superior on Sunday, track position, and just kind of dumb luck with other guys racing behind him kind of helped Harvick win that race on Sunday. Uh, yes, he was fast, but he had clean air, and other guys were racing and knocking air on their spoilers. So uh, I... I'm downshifting. I don't think that 
the Fords at this time have the speed, except maybe Blaney, for whatever reason, to make it to the championship for. So, I downshift. I'm downshifting too. I mean, unless Harvick and Childers are able to go on a, a tear the next couple months, I, I'm sorry, but... I, I mean, good for them on getting into the chase. Good for them on breaking that winless streak. Obviously, it was a long time coming. I think a lot of people, it, for a lot of people, especially me, it was always a question of uh, of of when and not if. Right. You know, we I, I knew Harvick was going to win again. It was just a matter of when was he going to win again. And sure enough, he did it um, when literally everybody wanted Bubba to win. <laughs> well, except for Fox News watchers. They didn't want him to win, but I, uh, most people with a brain did. Um, but anyway, uh, it's, it's to a different standard. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to insult a bunch of people. Um, but anyway, uh, no, I, I think that uh, that that Harvick was was destined to to, to win again. But still, it's going to be tough just given the level of competition that's been going on this year, you know, and and just given the slump that he's been in, he's not performing at the level that I think. He, sh- we would have expected him, or that he should be, if we're going to expect him to make a championship run at Phoenix. Um, now, if he does, boy, God rest, God help the rest of the the the, the, the three other drivers because they're going to have one hell hell of a time uh, beating Harvick uh, in that race. Because let me tell you, if he, if he actually gets to that race, just give him the championship right there. Because <laughs> it's it's Harvick at Phoenix. I mean, yeah. um. But, uh, well, we said that in 2020, and look what happened. But anyway, um, I still, yeah, I still think it's going to be tough for him. So I'm going to go ahead and downshift that. And uh, with the risk of upsetting any more listeners, I'm going to move on to the weekend wrap-up. Um, talking about IMSA at Road America, like I said, I really wanted to watch it, but I was driving from the hotel to the track while this race was going on. I meant to catch the re-air, but I had to watch the IndyCar replay. I wanted to catch. I had to catch the Xfinity replay. I just didn't have time. I still ha- I still plan fully plan on actually watching the replay because I love IMSA Road America so much. Uh, just, so doesn't just love Road America. I I love I, I I love Road America. Period. But like when IMSA goes to Road America, it's like I loved when Grand Am went to Road America. Like I remember when I was a kid, one of my favorite things in the world was like uh it would be like a Saturday or one of the first couple weeks of june or grand am would go to road america and it would always like kick off like a great weekend of racing and i just loved it this was like 2009 10 11 12 i just loved it man and i've loved it ever since i love when imsa goes to road america so uh just i was really sad i didn't get to watch it but i i will i do promise to watch it um and have i have the race dvr and i i think it's on peacock too i have to watch i just don't have not had a time because Josh, I told you this, but our listeners might not know this. I didn't get home last night until 1.30. I drove all the way from Brooklyn, Michigan, all the way back to Indianapolis after the race. So, um, as you can imagine, I'm a bit tired, and I didn't have a whole ton of time because uh, I had to work an eight-hour shift. Uh, <laughs> I woke up at, like, noon because, like I said, I didn't get to sleep until forever. I woke up at noon, started my shift at 2.30, worked my full eight-hour shift, and I've been doing this since then. So I really only had time to 
uh, catch uh, the highlights of the IndyCar race and uh, the couple of the Xfinity races. But the IMSA race was at Road America this weekend in DPI. Wayne Taylor Racing of Felipe Albuquerque and Ricky Taylor were the victors in LMP2. Aero Motorsports, Ryan DL and Dwight, Dwight Merriman were the victors. Uh, in LMP3, it was uh, Riley Motorsports, Felipe Fraga and Gar Robinson. In GTD Pro, Vassar Sullivan with Ben Barnacote and Jack Hawksworth. And uh, GTD was Windward Racing with Philip Ellis and Russell Ward. And I think that's the first time I've ever run through the weekend wrap-up at IMSA where I haven't butchered a name. Because um, usually you get those like GTD drivers that are like these amateurs that I've literally never heard of in my entire life. And I have no idea who these people are. And so I butcher their name every time. But these guys had normal names. And I actually know who Ben Barnacote are, Jack Hawksworth. I've seen these guys race before. I've seen Gar Robertson, Gar Robinson race before. Dwight Merriman, I've seen these guys race. So Felipe Fraga as well. I watched him race in uh, F3 at GP3 too. Um, uh, Indy Lights was at Nashville. Linus Lundquist just dominated from what I hear heard. I guess I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I heard he just dominated this race. And then uh, the IndyCar race at Nashville. Scott Dixon narrowly beat uh, Scott McLaughlin. It was a battle of two New Zealanders. The Kiwis battled in New Zick. Uh, the Kiwis battled in Nashville. I almost said the Kiwis battled battled in New Zealand. I was like, they were not in New Zealand this weekend. I'm sure a I lot of you were going to go with Music City. For a Music second. City like, would have worked too, but my brain just totally farted right at that your, moment. Your brain had a hard wall hit. Yeah, man. Just about as hard uh, as Austin Dendrick. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Christopher Beltram Hernandez, J.J. Yaley, for wrecking the whole darn field by being slow in your Rick Ware racing crap. You know what? I don't blame J.J. Haley for that wreck. I blame his I team do. for not bringing him down pit road. This dude should have known better. You're in the slowest car in the field. Get the heck out of the way. Don't be in the middle of the racing line on a restart. Fair enough. At least B.J. McLeod had the sense. B.J. You know, people could crap about B.J. McLeod. And the dude was easily 10 miles an hour off the pace all day on Sunday. Believe me, watching him go by, putzing around. The dude was losing time to Cody Ware. And I was just blown away by how that was possible. I was like, is this guy losing time to Cody? I mean, Cody's the second slowest car in the world, uh, out there. And B.J. McLeod. And then they would just draft by the slower front row motorsports cars. Well, they both had damage. But, um. That really sucked for Todd Gilliland. But anyway, no, I, it's like, what in the world was that? And it, Cindric got hit hard, and that's the thing that really bugged me, too, is because I don't usually watch races as a fan. Usually I'm pretty indifferent. But, like, watching Austin Cindric and Kyle Busch, two people that I actually, you know, wanted to see do well in the race, get wrecked out, like, before the first stage ends. Yeah. Man, I sat there and I was like, did I just waste money on like watching Joey Logano win this freaking race for some reason? I swear to God, if Logano or someone like that won the race, man, I would have. If if Logano was in the lead with 10 laps to go and there was no hope for a caution, I probably would have just up and left right then and there. But like, I don't want to see this. Um, And could anyone have blamed me? No, because do you want to sit through a Joey Logano win? No, I certainly don't. They're all, they're, 
this is this is by the way this is not a dig on Joey Logano. I got nothing wrong with Joey Logano. It just seems like every time he wins, it's anticlimactic or it's it's just lame in some way or he ruins a good story or I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, it, Brad Keselowski had this happen to him too. Uh, Brad Keselowski would win a race and it would just be like, God, who cares? Who cares? You know. And if you're a Penske fan, I apologize. Because you probably you you were you probably experienced that differently, and you were like, "Oh, but I liked those moments." But if you're like me, and you're kind of just indifferent and just want you know a good story to win, sometimes it always feels like Logano ruins it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or Keselowski would ruin it, especially like Talladega or something. Whatever. Uh, in the Arca race that. Josh and I both admitted to like not watching or even caring about. Nick Sanchez won, and somehow the points battle is still tight. I guess. Uh well, what what what, what did I say? It was you said like, it was like a three or four point deficit. Uh, or was it five? Eleven points, maybe now. Eleven like points that. now. Good lord. Okay. No, Amazing nine, what a win will Something do. like that. It, it's close. I mean, like it's it's just a few positions on the track close. Okay, and then the Xfinity Series was at Michigan as well. Ty Gibbs won that race. Uh, Gibbs continues to roll on as his fifth win in the Xfinity Series. And continues to ignore the TV camera and interviewer. <laughs> God, okay. Um, and then uh, the Cup Series was won by Kevin Harvick, as we already alluded to. Outstanding performance. Josh, who are you going to give it to this week? I'm actually going to give mine to Ty Dillon. Um, he finished 14th. Um, his first finish of 19th or better since Charlotte, the 600, where he finished 13th. Um, you know, yeah, a little strategy helped him, but, you know, he didn't give up valuable track position on restarts. He didn't get loose. Uh, he, I think he gained positions, actually. So, you know, good for him. Obviously, he's looking for a ride next year. Don't know if he's going to find one. Don't know where he's going to land. He's out of, he's, his replacements being announced this week. So, just trying to do the best you can. Just trying to deliver. I think he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders and how he's acting and taking this departure. Like, guys, let's just go out here and let's run the best we can. And and Sunday was a good day for that 42 Petty GMS team. Well, I'm going to upset literally everybody because sometimes I have to sit here and I have to be like, you know what, I I cannot like you as much as, as, much as I want, but damn, I got to admit when you got talent, and I got to say something, Ty Gibbs, man, I'm scared. He's going to like in in a couple of years when he gets full time in cup, it's I'm actually scared. Like he's going to single-handedly ruin everything by like winning so much, I think. I, um, I mean, I think what you all said I and mean, we didn't say this about John Henry, but John Henry came in and took over for Matt Tift in the 36 car a few years ago in the Cup Series. Ran really well like in those three or four races that he ran. But didn't do a whole lot once he got to cup, right? But that was with FRM. I mean, but, I mean, but, but, yeah, but, cup, he's but he get didn't the do best equipment, period. But he didn't do much with the equipment that he had. I think Ty Gibbs will have a rude awakening when he has to go through the cup routine. Cup routine. He just got a top ten as a replacement driver. He got a top ten in a car that the Toyotas clearly were superior at, and his car was just better than a lot of people out there. I but just, it's a good. No. He had a great weekend. He had a great weekend. I don't take Coming anything away. Coming in and putting in a top ten as a replacement driver is objectively a hard thing to do. 
It is objectively a hard thing to do. You are working with an entirely new team, a different team, a different crew from what you are normally working with. You're not even expecting to work with them week to week. It's on a week to week basis. He's had two weeks now. He got his his feet wet uh, at the at um, Pocono. Pocono, and then he got a a fun little experience at at IMS, and now he comes to Michigan, and he puts it in the top ten with a fast car. He shows everybody what he can do in a fast car. I'm scared for the future of NASCAR because the kid's good. It looked good in the Xfinity Series race on Sunday, yes, but he looked really good in the Cup Series race. I was watching him, like most of the whole time. He was not making stupid moves. He was not making errant... I mean, yeah, there was the there was the moment there with uh, Chastain that was probably a little bit hold-your-breath tight, you know, Code Brown moment there, but at the same time, you know, he kept his head down. He stayed most... He stayed out of people's way. He stayed out of... Out of uh people's hair he ran his own race he finished the race and he finished 10th and honestly i have to say you know i hope kurt bush is able to get back in the car this weekend but if he's not i think ty gibbs man is just gonna keep getting better and better and better and he's gonna keep getting more and more experience in this next gen car under his belt he's gonna keep on adapting he's gonna keep going into the simulator and he's gonna keep learning and I think he's going to just keep finishing better until Kurt gets back in the car. And that's why I'm giving him the outstanding performance because I just, I look at him and I look at how he did. And again, finishing top 10 with the strong car is to most people on an average day is not that big of a deal. It's not that big of an accomplishment, but I think to be a replacement driver, to be 20 years old and, to this be your third cup race to score a top 10 is objectively impressive, especially after having won the Xfinity race the week, the the, the day prior. Objectively, it's a good race. And that's why I'm giving it to Ty Gibbs. Okay. Does that, I I understand where you're coming from. I understand your argument. I understand a lot of people are going to have that same argument, but I think what puts him up there and puts him over that edge and why I'm giving him that that outstanding performance is because he's a replacement driver. If this was a scheduled start, like, you know, someone for Austin Hill or something, I would say, okay, yeah, congratulations, but it's just only going to get tougher. No, this is a situation where he's a replacement driver. You put him in there with a group of people that he knows in a race car that he's focusing on week to week, Watch out, everybody else. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. Okay. Josh, we're actually running ahead of schedule for once on this show. So that means you have plenty of time to tell us all about your featured week in racing, which I'm excited to hear about because I think there's a lot of cool little nuggets and facts in here. Yeah, this one was a fun one to do. Um, Definitely tried to keep a certain race out of it as much as possible. Um, just because oh, thank I didn't you for to... doing that because I know exactly what race you're probably talking about. I prefer that... not to relive that. So, uh, yeah, probably that one. And um, you know, yeah. Uh, let's just go and get this thing started here. Um, oh my computer! There we go. Computer's back up and running. <laughs> froze for a second there. Yokin Rink uh, is the uh, is and hopefully forever will be Formula One's only posthumous world champion in nine starts in 1970. Rink scored five of his six career F1 victories. Uh, in those nine races, 
he built up uh, enough of a points lead when he was tragically killed at Monza on September 5th, 1970. No one was able to catch him in the standings in the remaining se- uh, season's races. And his fifth and final career win came on August 2nd at Hockenheim in the German Grand Prix. Uh, he bested Jackie X in his Lotus by only seven-tenths of a second. Denny Hume, Hume was third uh, and was 81 seconds back. Remember, this is old Hockenheim. Big track, big track. Um, of the 21 starters, only seven were running at the finish, uh, with eight drivers failing, uh, uh, falling out of the race due to engine failure. The 2002 IROC season finale was at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on August 3rd, 2002. Uh, it, it, the first three races of the 2002 season were won by Tony Stewart, that was at Daytona, Kevin Harvick out Fontana, and Buddy Lazier, he went to Chicagoland. Hooray. Dale Jarrett started second, uh, but uh, he led flag to flag all 40 laps in this race at Indianapolis. He beat Elio Castro Nevis by 38 tenths. Uh, Ken Schrader was third. Ken Schrader raced IROC in 2002. Did not know that. Totally forgot about that. Good for good for good for Ken uh, Ken Schrader there. Uh, he was followed by Buddy Lazier, then Kevin uh, Kevin Harvick, Jack Sprague, Sterling Marlin, Scott Sharp, Bobby Labonte, Sam Horner Jr. And in 12th, in which was the only DNQ. Tony Stewart. Uh, at the race's end, Harvick was crowned that season's champion. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen International took place on August 4th, 1957. At the time, the circuit was 2.3 miles long. Uh, the race contained uh, or contained 20 start uh, starters. Uh, it was 44 laps long, totaling 101.2 miles. Buck Baker won from the pole. Uh, and he led all 44 laps in his 57 Chevrolet. The top five was uh, rounded up by Fireball Roberts, Tiny Lund, Frankie Schneider, and Johnny Allen. Uh, because race car drivers uh, during this time just had cool names, I had to mention these two drivers. Huck Spaulding. Huck Spaulding. Gosh, what a name. He finished 11th. And then Spook Crawford finished 12th. I mean... Guy's wow. name was Spook? I mean, that's his name listed on Racing Reference. Was that his birth given name? I doubt it. But Spook, the Spook Crawford, and Huck Spaulding. Huck, I believe, was beat with this guy's God given name. Okay, I believe that for a fact. But Spook is probably not this guy's real name. If someone knows, add us and tell us if we're wrong about that. But I had to mention that when you're going down the list of drivers there, of course, this is back like when NASCAR had like that New England swing. So not all the regulars <laughs> came up there and raced, but Huck Spaulding and Spook Crawford had a name drop those guys. Had to. It took 99 starts, but Chase Elliott finally captured his first career win on August 5th, 2018 in the go bowling at the Glen, at Watkins Glen. Uh, Elliott held off defending series champion Martin Truex Jr., uh, and the top five was filled out by three more Toyotas, Kyle Busch, Daniel Suarez, and Eric Jones. Ganassi teammates Kyle Larson and Jamie McMurray finished sixth and seventh. Uh, Hendrick teammate to Elliott and rookie William Byron finished eighth. And Stuart Haas racing teammates Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick finished ninth and tenth. Wow, what a difference four years makes on on a running order and also where you're at. Uh, making his first career cup start was Spencer Gallagher driving the number 23 Allegiant Toyota for BK Racing, 
remember this around the time where it was, it was possible rumor that GMS was going to be buying BK Racing. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, it remains Gal- Gallagher's only cup start. Uh, Re- Elliot ran out of gas on the cooldown lap and required a push to make it to the front stretch. And that push came from Mr. Seven-Time himself, Jimmy Johnson. All right, one of the most important races in NASCAR in the 1990s occurred on August 6, 1994. If you don't know what it is, here it is. I'm telling you right now, the very first Brickyard 400 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Pittsburgh, Indiana transplant. Jeff Gordon took uh, took the inaugural hardware after leading 93 of 160 uh, laps in the race where there were 21 lead changes. Jeff Bodine and the number 26 Quaker State Ford finished half a second behind Gordon. Bill Elliott was third, Rusty Walls fourth, and Dale Earnhardt was fifth. Australian Jeff Brabham was the only non-American in the 43-car field, uh, but unfortunately he crashed on lap 131. Uh, four-time Indianapolis 500 winner A.J. Foyt finished 30th, four laps down, despite attempting four more cup races over the next three years, three of which were Indianapolis. The 94 Brickyard 400 remains his final career cup start. The astonishing part, in case you definitely didn't know this, is that the weekend had 86 entries. 86 people tried to make this race. Now, also remember, several of those guys were also Winston West racers because this was a joint Winston West race. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it was for only that season only. I don't think Winston West ever was a joint again, but just for that inaugural race, Winston West was uh, a part of it. 86 cars attempted to qualify for 43 positions. Wild. They literally sent half the cars home that arrived. Literally sent half the cars home. Oh, crazy. All right. NASCAR racing in Montana. Yeah, it's happened a few times. In 2010, it was the NASCAR K&M Pro Series West that raced at Montana Raceway Park. 20 cars started the 150-lap Toyota Napa Auto Parts Bonus Challenge 150. That's a mouthful. Uh, he started seventh, but Eric Holmes won the race after leading 30 laps in his number 20 Napa Auto Parts Toyota for Bill McAnally. Uh, David Mayhew was second, then Moses Smith, followed by Jonathan Gomez, and Gary Lewis finished fifth. It was Holmes' third of five victories of 2010 en route to the 2010 championship. Montana Raceway Park closed for the 2020 season during the COVID-19 pandemic, but announced it would not reopen, citing vandalism and declining attendance uh i had to include that because it's just a sad note and i want to share that so people don't go like oh i want to go see a race at montana raceway park someplace but uh yeah they had a couple of nascar people in montana don't already have it bad enough i mean yeah yeah it's it's kind of sad they had some um nascar northwest races there and this was the first of two pro series west races that were held at the track 2011 was the other of the year all right, let's round it off with something very interesting here. The only racetrack in West Virginia to host a NASCAR Cup Series race hosted its fourth and final cup race on August 8, 1971. International Raceway Park, a.k.a. West Virginia International Speedway, located in Ona, West Virginia, was race number 35 of 48 in the 71 season. It was the West Virginia 500, and it was 500 laps around the point four five five mile paved oval richard petty won after leading 279 laps in his 70 plymouth 
Um, he also won the second and third race at this track. I forget. I think it was maybe David Pearson who won the first one. Uh, so he, he's, he's, as I said, Richard Petty led 100, uh, 279 laps in his 70 plummet. Finishing second was Bobby Allison. who led 201 laps. He was two laps down, though. James Hilton was third. Tiny Lund, uh, who also led the remaining 20 laps. He finished fourth. And Cecil Gordon, the first Gordon to drive the number 24, <laughs> finished fifth. So that was this week's featured week in racing. Rob, by the way, share with anyone, share with everyone the race you didn't want me to talk about. Was it the 08 Brickyard? Yes. Oh, God. Ugh, I don't want to I also about didn't that. want to just load the whole thing up with Brickyard 400 races because I literally could have done that. You could have done that. You could have talked about how Casey Kane lost in 2004, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12. Well, those were in July. I know. Post. You could have just talked about all of the races Casey Kane lost. Until I could have crapped on the 07 Pocono race for being a, a sham of a date because ESPN wanted to start its coverage at Indianapolis and not the Pocono Mountains, but I didn't. <laughs> you could have done that. Exactly. I could have done that, but I, I, I tried to keep it civil today. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Um, what's in the windshield as we wrap up the show today? Formula One returns on August 28th at Spa for the Belgian Grand Prix. IMSA is off also until August 28th when they race at the Virginia International Raceway. IndyCar will take a weekend off before its third to last race of the season at Gateway on August 20th. Uh, it is also a one week until the supercars return at Sandown August 20th to 25th. So there's just a lot of stuff going on the 20th, 21st. The Xfinity Series uh, also will take a weekend off for its final off weekend of 2022. They will return at Watkins Glen on August 20th. Formula E concludes the 2021-2022 World Championship this weekend with a doubleheader in Seoul, South Korea. And then NASCAR uh, will have the Truck Series and the Cup Series at Richmond this week with Cup Series on Sunday. Again, a day race for stupid reasons, but oh well. We'll talk about that later when it's surely another show like it was in April. All right. With uh, that being said, we'll talk about all of that later. Uh, if you like the show, thank you so much. Give us a like on Facebook. Give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, we could be, you could find us at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. I am at rpeters33. That's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh can be found at Roller underscore zero one. Um, that's at Roller underscore zero one r-o-l-l-e-r zero underscore zero one uh use the hashtag robin roller anytime you want to uh get a get a hold of us and we will be sure to uh answer your question or ask any you know just engage with us you know we're available um we hope you enjoyed this week's show uh like i said you know we had a lot of fun doing it i had a great time at michigan it was fun it's been fun the last two weeks to give perspective of a nascar race from perspective of a journalist uh someone actually covering it and then the perspective of as, as a fan somebody who's just in the stands enjoying themselves having a giant tall thing a bush light in a place where weed is legal <laughs> all right uh with that being said thanks again so much for listening uh for josh roller my name is rob peters and this has been the racing with robin roller podcast have a great week everybody and enjoy the races coming up with the next two weeks uh we'll talk talk to you later and we will see you next time